it was a very difficult time because I already had turned down the teaching job at this time, turned down the contract. I'm like betting on myself, mm -hmm. then find out I got torn meniscus and I got a kid due in March. Yeah. So, okay, now life is real. Welcome to Natural Thoughts and Talks, episode 12 or 13, whatever it is, you guys saw it. So it'll be good. And right now I have... One of my favorite people, definitely a big influence in not only my athletic career, educationally, just a really good life mentor, somebody who I definitely try to think at every hard decision that I have in life, like kind of what's what what's the advice that maybe Coach Rich would say right now? And this is Coach, you know, Christopher Richardson. He is the head track and field coach at Cerritos. He's um, Team USA certified. I'll kind of let you get your own bio in, and we got a good one for you today, guys. Hey, Coach Richardson. Um, yeah, I'm the head coach at Cerritos Community College. Been here for 10 and a half years. For me, uh, you know, most recently been working with Team USA in coaches education, so I do all the level one certifications for coaches. I coach or teach the level two certification for jumps, and it's a lot of fun because most recently, obviously traveling with Team USA, being on the Team USA coaching staff, like it allows me to have a way different perspective on our sport and everything it has to bring. So it's, it was a lot of fun, you know, kind of going through that journey. I think, you know, I'm in a little bit different place now, but educationally, you know, I was somebody that grew up locally in Southern California, went to Downey High School, Cerritos College, Long Beach State, and finished my master's at Concordia University, Irvine. Uh, went to, went on to get an advanced degree at North Central University. So currently just trying to get our team going post-COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, things are picking back up for you guys. Though, yeah, right? yeah, definitely. It's all good. Yeah, I, wanna, I want the theme of this podcast to be honestly doing what you love because I really am at sort of a transition um, kind of coming out of college within the next six months. And I think a lot of people like me are that we're kind of trying to figure out what are we going to try first? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we doing? I've always respected that you really love what you do. You don't come to work every single day you've came. I've never had a practice where you weren't upbeat, happy, and ready to give knowledge and wisdom to younger people like me. And that's something that people can only strive to really love what they do. And I kind of just want to maybe take a second and start with like your athletic background before we get into coaching you were obviously an athlete yourself you know yeah so I, I didn't do sports early on I think I'm kind of a a little bit different especially now how sports is going in today's mm -hmm. era mm -hmm. uh, I didn't start doing organized sport until eighth grade summer and, okay. and that was only because a couple of buddies of mine that I used to go rollerblading or skateboarding with or hang out with that they were going out and like, hey, we're going to go try out for this football team, basketball team and do this, you know, this uh, local rec ball thing. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, I'll go hang out with you guys and never played baseball or football or basketball before. But I picked all those sports up, kind of hung out with them. When was this? This was, yeah. Are summer. we like late 80s, 90s? Where was this? What? Like Come how, on, I don't, Come how on, old man. are you? Um, <laughs> no, this was, uh, so coming into high school. What so year did you graduate high school? Oh, three. So 99. Okay. So nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I was okay. born in 2000. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got to keep things perspective. Yeah. So this was def this was 98, 99 when I started getting into organized sports, mm -hmm. uh, never had any influences. So my friends' dads were big influences on me as it relates to knowing what to expect being in organized sport. Mm -hmm. Then obviously going into high school, you have your high school coaches, some good, some bad, and some, you know, you can, you know, just don't have any opinion on. Yeah. Uh, but that really helped shaped, you know, kind of navigate me because uh, mm -hmm. I did football and basketball primarily, never did track before. Yeah. And a buddy of mine in basketball, he said, hey, the girls are wearing shorts out here. And it's going to help <laughs> you make make you jump higher in, in basketball. So I said, all right, cool. Mm -hmm. So pretty much most of track practice my freshman year was us going and checking in for track practice and then go and play and pick up basketball. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, then we would just show up to the track meets super mm -hmm. unprepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I watched myself do it now, I'd be like so disappointed. But mm -hmm. uh, when we came to like track and field, I my freshman year made it to like league finals. Was like one of the top jumpers. Jump like I think uh, 20 feet and 40 feet, which are pretty. I guess at the time, 
good As little landmarks. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> good landmarks. And so I was like excited because I was getting recognition mm -hmm. as it relates to like, oh, you're doing well. Uh, because for me, football and basketball were like my primary sports, I thought. Mm -hmm. And once I kind of figured out my own identity, it kind of lent me to where I am now, where I am definitely more of an individual sport type person, mm -hmm. just because I'm more intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Uh, the way I look at leadership is a little bit different than um, that high-level camaraderie that goes along with team sports. So yeah. uh, then I went to Cerritos, and I came to Cerritos first to primarily just play football. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to really do track. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then I started doing it, and I was like, I don't really love this. Yeah. I don't love it. Like, mm -hmm. it's not. What didn't you love about it? Um, they're the, the two things, the subjectivity and the politics yeah. associated with it. That's me right there. And because we're like we're watching film on other people do other things and it had nothing and I felt like it had nothing to do with or me. the drills that we do with uh, yeah, we're putting on a ladder and you're a lineman. Why are you on a ladder? You know, what did, it didn't make sense. And then yeah. there was a kid that like I, w I got really strong and I got I started to kind of come into my own athletic identity. I think I became a pretty good physical athlete, you know, towards the end of high school. But. I was really much better than this other guy that was doing outside linebacker. Mm -hmm. and But he went to, I think, Long Beach Poly or mm -hmm. something like that. Or he went to a high school that had a little bit more notoriety. Yeah. So he was going to be able to play. He was a higher level player yeah. than you. He had one like, from Poly. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, nah, I don't, I'm don't. i not good with this. And mm -hmm. So that's when I went to the track coach's office. I was like, hey, uh, they talked to me about the decathlon in high school. I'm going to try it. He happened to be a former decathlete, so he kind of knew about it and was excited. Who was that? Uh, Coach Wells. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he he was uh, in the first NCAA Division One decathlon. Really? Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty cool because my last NCAA decathlon was in Des Moines, Iowa, where the first one was. That's pretty full circle. Yeah. It it was it was uh, it was a nice little kind of um, you know yeah. I guess homage to him and kind of help him kind of bringing me in because mm -hmm. he fully supported me being a decathlete. And this is something, guys, where the decathlon is um, obviously Rich is an expert in the deck, and it's a two-event track and field endeavor that's um, it's it's just pretty much hell. There's no other higher level you go, you know, oh, you're a good football player, all right, you're a good basketball player, all right, but if you're a deck, you're just all around. And I think that that's obviously what pulled me in, and I think that's what pulled Rich in, too, is just having the ability to do everything. It's like playing every position in football. It's like uh, who's the best quarterback, receiver, tackler, uh, mm -hmm. kicker, everything, uh, water boy, like it's yeah. everything. So that's what really when I, I found about it in high school um, – I was in lunch. I don't even remember what we were doing, but it was like I was out to lunch with some people that were from Cerritos, and they knew about you, though, because we were obviously new to Torrance coming from Texas, and we were like, hey, Venture, same thing, the politics. Uh, I want to play a certain position, but they're like, oh, no, you're big and aggressive. You're not going to play this. Go put you on defense. You know what I mean? So, like, go hit people. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to play, like, quarterback, receiver, something flashier. They just wouldn't let me. It was too much politics involved, stuff like that, and it just wasn't merit-based. And that's where when you started breaking down like the points, all this, uh, hey, there's a time. Guess what? You're going to get a lane. You can never blame the coach for, oh, fuck, Rich didn't yeah. put me in this meet. He didn't do this. Well, hey, uh, yeah. we timed you in practice. And guess what? <laughs> you ran 15 in the 100, yeah. all right? Like, I don't know what to tell you. You're, it's just not cut out for you. So you know that like it wasn't, it, it really was you. So no matter how hard you work, it really does show in the sport of track and field. And that's why it's not only my favorite sport, but I try to push anybody to at least, if it's not their main thing, do it in the off season. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, yeah, you're a football guy, but like you're not doing anything in the spring. You know, you're sitting around looking at girls doing whatever. Mm -hmm. Like go, go run an event, like go have some fun. So track and field, it's the best sport because not only are you individual, but you're also on a team. You know, mm -hmm. like you actually have that team camaraderie. And if you are somebody like we are that we're just kind of like obsessed with working on our own growth and you have a teammate that maybe isn't obsessed with working on their own growth, maybe they're more social, maybe they're just kind of along for the ride. Hey, that's OK, because 
their success is not directly involved in your success, like in the individual meets. So that's my favorite thing about track. And I kind of want this podcast to be about like going in deep, diving into sort of like the mindset around finding what you love and how you attack that perspective every single day. And then just I have some questions for you because obviously you're, you know, 10 to 15 years further down in the game than I am. And I'm just now starting something to where like I got to put my big boy pants on. You know, I got to make a plan. I'm going to start thinking about like, luckily, I'm able to get out of school with no debt and no kids. There we go. You know, like, let's (laughs) dive into that right there. Come in. I understand the perspective I'm in. Like my parents had me at 21, 22, their last year in college. And that's that's you, you know, like yeah. <laughs> what did it tell me about CJ? Yeah. So I was in my last year. I'm trying to think. Yeah. So 07 was my, I redshirted that season and I had big plans for 08 because mm-hmm. that was Olympic trials year at, I, at Long Beach State, at Long Beach State. So, so after Cerritos, you ended up going to Long Beach yeah. State and um, you a local legend, some might say, yeah. right yeah. <laughs> around yeah. those parts. Yeah. I hear you. Big I, fish in a small pond. Yeah, Rich is a type of coach to make you jog like around Long Beach State just to look at his picture <laughs> on the wall and be I like, never done and that. be like, hey, see what y'all could do. Yeah. <laughs> I might point it out, but I ain't gonna make you jog. By <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna put the water stand right next to it. That's what you're saying. All right, but w- yeah, go ahead. So, so you, 07, yeah. So I had big plans. 08 and. And none of them involved having a kid, I'll uh-huh. tell you that much. But, you know, it was uh, definitely a blessing. Um, going into that year is a little bit different. You know, I guess give some context. Uh, that Going into that year, I found out I maybe in January. So pretty th- three big life things happened. So mm-hmm. uh, the first one, obviously, knowing that I'm going to have a kid that's due in March. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, dang, I got to get ready for this. Yeah. Uh, get offered a full-time teaching job. In Downey, so mm-hmm. full time teaching, like salary, benefits, the yeah. whole nine. The setup. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, you're talking to a kid, you're like, oh, you start at 65,000. Like, yeah. that's like very enticing, but it's full time mm-hmm. going into my last season as a collegiate student athlete. Mm-hmm. Get offered like a little small contract to kind of go professional. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, kind of, you know what? I wanted the NCAA thing, maybe build my stock. Yeah. Right. Then about after all that happens, Two or three weeks later, found out I have a torn meniscus. Oh. And it's it's at a stupid time where it's... Do you remember how you tore it? Um, it just... There was no one acute thing, like one oh, specific okay. thing. I think it was a culmination, and then maybe there was like one or two things that just really put it over the edge, but then it just started swelling up, and I was still competing and training and just mm-hmm. uh, managing it the best I could, but mm-hmm. at the end of it all, it just became really problematic to training mm-hmm. so i had to go see somebody and then i got recommended da 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 went through that whole rigmarole and i tried to avoid that whole process because i was trying to like out of sight out of mind not know oh, yeah. but eventually i had to figure it out and find out through an mri that i had a torn meniscus mm-hmm. well having a torn meniscus at this time okay i can go get it scoped and miss majority i already qualified for olympic trials mm-hmm. i'll miss qualifying for ncaa championships where i was you know, one of the favorites to be in that top spot. Yeah. And then, so I'm like double clutching or thinking, okay, what am I going to do? It was a very difficult time because I already had turned down the teaching job at this time, turned down the contract. I'm like betting on myself, Mm -hmm. then find out I got torn meniscus and I got a kid due in March. Yeah. So, okay. Now life is real. Yeah. And, and you know, you're doubting yourself and I'm doubting what I'm doing and how I'm doing things. But ultimately, you know, um, I, I reflect back on, they always say women become mothers as soon as they become pregnant and men become fathers as soon as the kid is born. Oh. And yeah, I, I knew a kid was coming, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but once he was born, like I cried, it was like the most life changing thing because at, at a, I mean, I'm talking about an instant on a drop of a dime, everything I thought was important mm-hmm. was no longer important. It was, yeah. it, it became it became so meaningless and, and nothing. Yeah. And like a whole new level of like purpose came into my mind. Like I can't even explain like the the level of just shift. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, um, when everything changes colors. I mean, it was a total shift in how I my perspective on how I do things. Yeah. And a little side note, I don't think I've ever said this, but uh, and I was like, 
dang, if Jennifer can go through that, <laughs> what am I complaining about this 1500 for? Yeah, like, <laughs> to my little old leg, huh? Yeah, like, what? But, yeah, it, I mean, it shifted everything. Like, okay. my importance, and not that I took less of a, um, a perspective on my athletic career or mm-hmm. academic pursuits, but I just, things shifted as it relates to importance and priority at mm-hmm. that time. That's crazy, though. It's, it's one thing to do it for yourself, but it's also another thing to just, like, Black 11, it, you know, a little bit like, hey, Black 11 with let everybody ride, else. Let yeah. it ride. You know, like, we'll yeah. see when that thing's spinning. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that's super cool. So take me through. You have the baby. What um, what'd you do, though? Did you finish out that season on the meniscus or did you yeah, just? Yeah, finished it out. I mean, it was rough. Mm-hmm. It was a rough go. Like, I yeah. could not. I could train maybe 30% of capacity. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm talking about I couldn't run, sprint, jump, throw because mm-hmm. it was all, like discus was my one of my primary events javelin was like one of my mainstays yeah and i couldn't block in the javelin i couldn't like pivot because it was my left leg Mm -hmm. couldn't pivot out of the back for discus Mm -hmm. so i had to like augment how i did my technique just so i wouldn't put pressure on that lateral meniscus and you know that that goes to show like for me like if i go back it's like um i always say that thing it's you know oh man if i knew then what i know now yeah but if, even if I did know, I wouldn't even know what to do with that information. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like, even if I probably did know, or probably somebody did yeah. tell me I could go right or left or do this or that, I just wouldn't know what, the, I didn't have the lived experience to mm-hmm. make the decisions at that time that maybe I would make now if, had I been in that, or have I been in that position. Yeah. I really like that. I want to talk more about when people get injured and they identify as like solely athletes, that's their thing. I want to know about the importance of like, sort of branching out and knowing and having things to, I don't want to say fall back on. I feel like that's the traditional term that's used, but it's not like you're, it's not a backup plan. It is your plan. Like you, you're not just one thing. You're okay. Yeah. I play sports, but I also do this. I have this talent. I have this talent. I love this. Having several things to be able to do all at once because we live in an age where like that stuff is possible. You see what I'm saying? I don't just build a podcast brand. You know, I'm also a student in college. I'm also, yeah, a former athlete. I also am um, a, a great boyfriend, you know, having all those things. And I understand that, hey, guess what? If someone said, hey, you can't podcast anymore. First of all, I'd say, fuck you. I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, don't, don't tell me what to do on my podcast. All right. Like, just go find a different one to yeah. listen to. But it's just like how at that point in time, kind of like not knowing what you don't know. How did you get through? Like, was there any state of like a depression that you went in? Did you do you remember how was your mental health then? And um, what did you do to kind of well, get back into it? I think, it, you know, what the interesting thing is the year before I did go through a state of depression, like and this was in the height of my maybe I forget exactly what year um, I want to say it was 07, but I can't I can't say definitively. But if on the outside looking in, people would think that, man, that guy has a stuff together. I had a Mercedes. I had a motorcycle because I had a really good job. I was making good money. I was on scholarship. Mm-hmm. I was one of the top athletes in the world at the mm-hmm. time, and, you know, it, in respect of to my event. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had it from the outside. I had everything going. Right. Mm-hmm. I had everything. Right. Yeah. And. But my mo- my mom was sick. I had some things going on. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, and I already was coming off of a previous injury that was pretty debilitating. I had stress fractures in my L two and L four in my spine, and mm-hmm. uh, and I also had a thoracic outlet in my shoulder. So, it, so it was like, man, I was coming from being super banged up, and I, you know, like I did lose sight of my identity, mm-hmm. and and I just was trying to figure it out, but I didn't know about. Um, you know, talking to people or that wasn't like a normal thing for me. And Mm -hmm. the biggest thing I remember, like, and it sticks with me to this day, it was like I was sitting in front of the pyramid at Long Beach State, parked on the street when you used to be able to park on the street. And I just remember crying right before practice, just bawling. And it was because everything kind of felt like when it rains, it pours. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, what is going on? And because I was losing touch with everything I thought I was, every, every relationship I thought I had, I just doubted to the highest degree. Mm-hmm. And after that, kind of went to my coach, and I was lucky that my coach, Dave Rada, who's um, passed away, but he was a huge mentor of mine. Like, I mean, in terms of he was the most all-encompassing mentor I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about because there's some mentors you have where they're just for track. 
yeah. or some mentors where they're they're good family, but mm-hmm. you don't want to talk to them about track. Yeah. <laughs> There's some people like good business, but you don't want to talk to them about family. Yeah. And but he was like the most all encompassing mentor I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you need to talk to somebody. And I was like, I don't know. And so but I went, talked to somebody, was able to kind of learn me. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, that at that point, I started to become the, like the happiest I've ever been and, and at least shifted my perspective because going back to what you were saying earlier about the identity, and I didn't even know this at the time, but I picked up playing keyboard. I, I sucked at playing keyboard, yeah. but I learned how to, I taught myself how to read music. Mm-hmm. I taught myself how to listen to music. I talked to some people that played music and learned some scales and did some things, but I would just go and zone out and just play the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I was not good. Like I wasn't, yeah. I, you, you don't want me playing in the hotel lobby. Yeah. I'll tell you like that, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I could play pieces of songs and I enjoyed it. Yeah. And that was my, and I learned now, it's like kind of what the Navy SEALs do is like decompressing. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to decompress. I had to learn to put things in my life that I enjoy, that are challenging to me, that aren't like all in on one side or another. I wasn't like um, too overwhelmed on one side of my life or another. So that was something that was big for me at that time too. I want to talk about being professional in something other than sports. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't have a fancy way to put that spin on. Just It's like a raw idea of like, okay, I know that I wasn't going to be How like... How do you oh, apply your, your athletic skills to life? That's or exactly what I'm thing. talking about, yeah. of making that switch yeah. of just like no longer being a Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. Okay, taking that ability that got you to the top yeah. of the mountaintop and exploring other mountains. Yeah. So like the point of you being an athlete, yes, puts you as a great coach, puts you as a great father, mm-hmm. puts you as a great mentor, puts you as a great car driver you know what i mean like because you take the same tools that are pretty universal and you're able to package it up and know that like that's i think what now i have access to is learning from people's stories like you because i don't know if you had the amount of information to sift through but like i just piss through people's information you know what i mean like i just i I grab it it's over the past four years of my life the little bit of wisdom that i've been able to gain i go oh i'm addicted you know, I go like, oh, yeah, I want more. I see where Rich is at. I'm going to get there. I see where so-and-so's at. I'm gonna get, I see where my dad's at. They, they have these years of experience, decades, and I just want to, like, keep climbing. Just give it to me. Yeah. Hey, what do you got going on? That's my biggest thing is, like, were you somebody who was ever afraid to ask questions? Because luckily, like the people who were able to develop me, they were, hey, there really are no stupid questions, you know, or I definitely knew that like when asking a question, there is a good chance that somebody next to you probably has that same question. So it's okay to not be embarrassed. How do you develop that confidence? How do you instill that confidence in your athletes and maybe even your children? You know what I mean? I think the biggest thing is because you have to almost subliminally teach like my athletes, I'm talking about the young college kids and mm-hmm. even my young kids or anybody I come into contact with, almost subliminally have to teach them that these traits, these skills, these attributes that you're developing by going through all the the gauntlet that is being an athlete, mm-hmm. right, that that is going to transcend. Mm-hmm. And you have to throw in little pieces here and there and you have to be a living example of that. Mm-hmm. You have to allow, you have to almost be vulnerable so they can see Dang, coach slipped up, but he bam, he didn't dun 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 dun, and he went through it. Mm-hmm. And so, or even give like past stories and, and open those doors so they can see, they can have a glimpse because it won't be that moment because those seeds you plant, you know, like always talk about reaping the harvest, but you have to go through that point to where that seed has to germ and go through its whole process, mm-hmm. and that's part of it. And I, it it was hard for me young because I wanted to just like beat people over the head with info like mm-hmm. boom get it no it doesn't yeah. work like that you have to just feed it and then if it if it permeates then it does but yeah. if it doesn't it doesn't and it, it's not up to me wh- how somebody interprets something mm-hmm. and you've always and i've always appreciated the fact that you've been like obviously shown gratitude but um at, le- at least help illuminate to me that the things that I say just aren't useless things because sometimes I say things or do things or put things out or X, Y, Z, and I'm just doing it because I hope it works or whatever the case is, and you go, that was good. Mm -hmm. And you kind of give a little bit of validation because sometimes as a coach or as a mentor, you plant seeds and it helps people and you never know. You Mm -hmm. never see the the fruits of your labor, I guess you could say. And, you know, for me, I I learned that and I just appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. I know that man, I have to be on, on my stuff all times every day because 
I never know. If I come in with an attitude, how is that going to impact this person or that person or, or my ability to maybe have a positive influence on them? Mm-hmm. But going back to your original thing, too, is like with professionalism, like carrying those attributes over, it comes from being able to understand that, you know, perseverance is a big thing. People talk about grit. There's all this like hustle porn out there now, right, yeah. with social media. And it's, it's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to be patient enough to let these things happen. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, that's the hardest part. Yeah. Because with, like, okay, so you learned all these lessons as being an athlete. Mm-hmm. But then you transcend to professional life. And you know that, okay, I worked hard and I was successful. But you don't realize all the growing pain, the balls you dropped, mm-hmm. the, the times you messed up, the times you didn't reach your time, the time that you stumbled or didn't finish a workout or didn't finish a drill, like then you, and you came back. Those early years, those early days, yeah. that's what you have to remember when you're talking about transcending those skills to professional life. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, we talk about it after we've already mastered something. Yeah. After we gain this level of like autonomy with a skill or a sport or a craft, we're like, oh yeah, th- yeah I worked hard or I boom, 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 and navigated, and, and now I'm just gonna carry that over. It yeah. doesn't do that. Yeah. You have to go all the way back to that toddler stage where you're stumbling and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, your last question with like reaching out to people, I mean, I'm talking about my first division one coaching job or, you know, obviously my last two, but uh, we, you, I emailed almost 350 coaches. Yeah. I sent an email like, hey, my name is this and I'm interested in your program. I know you don't have a job opening, but if something does pop, you know, pop up, please keep me in mind. Here's my resume. I love to talk to you. If there's anything you need, please reach out. You know, I did something like that. Yeah. Sent it to 350 people. Yeah. Knowing, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Then things happen. And talking to, I mean, building a network, I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to be that, you know, that social butterfly going into conferences and events. But one, I surround myself with people that are social butterflies so that when I do go, I'm like, hey, go, who's that person over there? (laughs) And they go introduce and I just tag along. Um, Or, you know, I just bite down and I just, you know, I try to spark up conversation. I do the best I can, even Mm -hmm. though it's extremely, even to to this day. It's extremely uncomfortable for me to spark up uh, a conversation with somebody I do not know. Mm-hmm. It is probably the, one of the most difficult things I do on a regular basis. Really? Yeah. That's so weird. I'm the opposite. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't even like talking to people I already know. <laughs> I get to a point where I'm just like, that's kind of what the podcast is. It's like, I don't, I want to, the first second I meet you, I want to go, hey, tell me the most interesting thing about you. Like, that's, you know what I mean? There's kind of something where it's just like, hey, give me a crazy story about like, when you broke your back, you know what I mean? How, how'd you do that? How do you, how does one break their back? You know what I mean? Just interesting things where, that's why I love the podcast is this is something new to me where it, it is a networking tool too. And not like in a way where I'm trying to get something out of it and I'm trying to like climb my way and claw my way. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. It's curiosity. And I'm trying to gain wisdom. I'm trying to have everything worst case scenario with this podcast. If nobody listens 20 years from now, I have a thousand hours of, Hey, what was that young man doing? You know, what, what is this idea of like, what was he, what did he think he could do? You know what I mean? How big did he think he could go? Did he accomplish it? Okay. After he accomplished it, what did he say that he was going to do? That's what this is. I love talking to people. I love, um, I'm not an introvert, (laughs) super extrovert. I love it. I like touching people. I like (laughs) wrestling around all that. It's super cool. My biggest thing with you, and I think honestly, I've unpacked it and I've found the key as far as like you, when you coached me was the first time I ever had somebody who identified similar to me. Um, I just had old white guys from Mm. the sixties that were just coming in, do this, do that, do that nothing this guy was cool he's coming in with the jays he's listening to the same music i listen to likes the same food and he wasn't yelling at me because here's the thing is like i worked hard i i already have a natural work ethic within me that i've developed where you don't tell me to do another one i'm gonna go do another one until physically we get to the point where it's like okay anything more and you're probably going to injure yourself I already had that coming in. So what you were able to do is like, you only yelled at me twice. While we, we trained for years, mm-hmm. you really only yelled at me twice. And it was like, oh yeah, I needed that one. Like you threw a jab near somebody and like, that's a liability. We can't do that, you know? So it's like your ability. And that's what I'm saying is the point of this is I'm using that type of communication, sort of um, a new endeavor of like aggressive listening. That's when 
someone brought that to me and was like, hey, you need to become a better aggressive listener, it was like, oh, fuck, I don't listen. I just, I realized that. I was like at 20 years old, oh, I just talk and then you say words and then I come back at whatever I think, I think you said and then I just talk. But really, I'm getting into it. It's helped with everything, Rich. Like it's helped with this, helped with that. And I go, oh, I didn't realize I do that. And like just check your ego at the door and just be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not good at that. It's okay. So let's get better at it. We know where we're at. What can be measured can be managed. Like, let's do that. Your ability to communicate as a coach. We talk about football. I hated that. I hated them not showing me the human side. Just the, you got to be a warrior. You got to be a brute every time. And it's like, why? Why can we not just like finesse it? Why can we not? It's cool. We don't have to, you know, like fight each other every single day and do this and this. It's whatever. That's why I just had to get out of there and like not do that. That's what track and field helped teach me about life. Instilling fear in someone, you can get them to do what you want to do. Like if I put a gun to your head and say, go to my pickup truck, it's a likelihood that you're going to go to my pickup truck. But that's like the second most powerful thing. The number one thing is love. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd really like to get into next is like understanding that if you really get the people around you as far as leadership wise to really love what they do, um, and have a passion for it, they're gonna go 10 times as far as what they're gonna do based out of fear. I used to fear playing football. I used to fear my coaches, fear my teammates, this and that. Therefore, I was able to go, yeah, maybe like 95% of the way, but with track and field and the environment that you cultivated, I was able to fall in love with the process. I hated practice. I hated uh, football practice, mm -hmm. this and that. I can count on one hand out of the hundreds of track practices that we've had, on a handful of them where I was like, I don't want to be here. And that was probably an extreme instance, you know, life happens, but like I literally l fell in love with the process of what we did. Therefore talk about like, how is it that as a leader you need to, honestly nurturing is more important in most instances and like empathy and like loving the people that you have around you, lo like peace is stronger than war. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how have you learned that through coaching and just through, like, life? Yeah, that's a good question because, like, for me, I think it's more about being real with yourself. Like, you, if, you, if you have insecurity, like, if I was insecure about what I did, I'd have doubts. And then that doubt would create some motive for me to now try to think that I got to manipulate you to do X. But, I never thought of it like and that. And so, like, that's what I see. I see a lot of it more coming from that and a lack of, like, whether it's identity, whether it's, um, you know, you have a true sense of self, uh, but, you, you know, maybe it boils down to some level of um, insecurity. Uh, or maybe that's how you were taught. And then now, because you are manifesting these, these old philosophies that you were under, now you're just perpetuating that. You're just carrying on the torch of... Uh, this is how we coach. This is what it is. Instead of like taking a step back and be like, why, 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 mm -hmm. why, who, what, and then really getting into it because that's because I I want to enjoy practice. Mm -hmm. And if if I think that my athletes are either scared or you know, um, it's not that I we got to be buddy buddy with everybody because there's definitely people that I've had successful coach athlete relationships with that I wouldn't say that we're necessarily buddy buddy. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's some that I get along with probably a lot better when it's like more of an interpersonal thing. But at the end of the day, my athletes need to know that I care about them, you know, first and foremost, because if I'm going to ask them to do something that's really uncomfortable, mm -hmm. they got to trust it. And there's no way to trust it. And the thing I've heard that really helped me was you to have a um, quality relationship or, ha you know, people always talk about quality time. To be able to have quality time, you have to put in a quantity of time. Okay. So I'm not going to automatically come on and just like, hey, GP, you got to respect me and I'm going to ask you to go through the wall. It, we're we're going to build that. Mm -hmm. You know, just come. Yeah. And then, you know, realize that and you just, if, you, if I put the, string those days together and then that's where those relationships grow and that trust builds. Mm -hmm. But I, it's a process. It's tough because there's times where, um, you know, because life happens and, you know, people come in with different, emotions at practice and even myself like I got a, you know life I got a life mm -hmm. right I, I and I might be dealing with you know drama or something that's happening on campus or within my administration or whatever it is and I have to like put that aside because I can't let that 
boil over into how I'm going to impact my athletes. You know, yeah. one of the biggest things I'm going through kind of like my most recent revelation is just understanding that like people, not, not everybody's the same. Like that's what being in a diverse society is. And I used to think that like, there's only one way to work hard. Everybody's got to, you got to wake your ass up at four in the morning and you got to get out there before the, the birds are awake and you just got to pound and pound and pound. And then, you know, I started meeting other people and realizing that like, oh, someone hit me with the argument of like, hey, so if you wake up at five in the morning and you're going hard from five to noon and then you got to take your nap or whatever, like what, how is that different than me starting at like 8.30 and working until here? It's just like, it's not about how early you get up. It's about what the fuck you get done over the course of the day, like how efficient you are. It's like Denzel had this quote I was looking through online and he's like, don't mistake movement with progress. And it's like, you got to understand that people have different, A, definitions of what makes them happy. So it's like, what makes me happy? Guess what? Might not. I want to control everything. For instance, like I want to be in charge of what I do. Shit. The guy next to me might be like, no, just tell me what to do. It's all good. Tell me what to do. We'll get out of here. And it's like, by me understanding that, A, I develop as a better communicator and I develop as a better leader. So it's like, just finding those little keys and nuggets of wisdom and those gems is like the biggest thing. It's my favorite thing to do. And um, I think just kind of scaling back in this podcast and talking about like stuff lighter, just a little bit easier. And then we'll get back into it. But like, who are some of your favorite athletes or who's your favorite athlete of all time, regardless of sport, regardless of anything, that's your guy or girl, you know? Oh man. Um, Favorite athlete all time. I can go first if you want. If you want to think about it. I mean, I'm because like it's Dion. Dion Sanders like pops oh, yeah. up like right away just because he was that guy. And then, yeah, I think Dion just kind of, you know, sticks with me a little bit. And it's not nothing, nothing necessarily X Y Z or what he did or how he did it accolades mm-hmm. wise. Mm-hmm. It was just his persona. Yeah. And I just loved how. You know, he he took it like he and I love the fact and I kind of took this on at when I was an athlete is like, I'm going to put the pressure on myself. I'm going to say I'm going to be an NCAA All-American when I'm I'm just a community college kid from yeah. a mid-major. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you to say that? Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to be the head coach at Cerritos. There's yeah. only been two other people like you're this age and this. You're not mm-hmm. going to do that. Yeah. So, OK, yeah. Boom. I'm going to make a Team USA coaching staff. Well, mm-hmm. you got to put your years in this, this, this. You got to put your years yeah, in. And, yeah. and so I, I, and I'm waiting for that next one. I'm waiting for the next one. Uh-huh. I got a couple out there, but um, I haven't put them out there yet, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out what they are exactly. But that's what I loved about Dion. Dion said, I'm, I'm guarding the best people. Yeah. The best people can't guard me. And it was Dion's ability to like talk that shit and still back it up yeah. at the end that really motivated you as you were developing. Mm-hmm. I think that same like energy is what, attracted me to Muhammad Ali Mm. I think Muhammad Ali there's no other human being in my opinion that has been able to transcend his craft to become an icon of just life Mm -hmm. you know what I mean of just you know civil rights activists all this you know boxing and just his ability to just hey let me show you how great I really am and by me mastering my craft it shows you that hey you can do whatever you put your mind to your will to as well and it's like I'd get that guy tattooed on my face if I could. <laughs> like that's how much I fuck with Muhammad well, but Ali. But you know what the with uh, Muhammad Ali is that he never claimed to be a perfect person. Yeah. Like that's I mean it, that resonated with me a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously I watched the movie before I read Hop on the, the mic. book. I be, I watched the movie before I read the book. Mm-hmm. I you know what I mean? I I saw outside examples before I really started researching who he was, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day what I found was very consistent. He never claimed to be something he wasn't. He never claimed to be a perfect ex or why, you know, he just said, this is who I am. Take it, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. And that's it right there. I'm not, I'm not forcing Venture O'Neill down anybody's throat. I don't want to do that. Hey, if you want to come apart, hop on the boat, you know, that's cool. Let's talk. Let's chat. Let's have a good time. But like, it's okay. Go love what you want to do. Like, I want you to do what makes you happy. You know, just, just do you. It's all good. And like, that's what Ollie's about. He's good vibes. And man, that dude was an animal. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I think we should transition into fatherhood. That's something I'm really interested in right now. I don't have a kid on the way. Okay. Let's just get that out of there. I'm doing well. Like I said, I'm really, it's a few years down the road, (laughs) but 
it, it, it's good. You know, sometimes you, I've even heard that too. Is um, I remember being a kid and we had a family friend who was, you know, like in her really early twenties at the time, and she tried to like slyly be like, because you know, you're a kid, you don't know. What what if I came to you and I was like, so I got this friend or whatever? You're like, no, it's really you venture. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. but I remember she was like. Oh, so how old were you when you had venture, right? And then I remember my mom's face, though, like in she was in the kitchen preparing the meal. I'm just chilling there, whatever, and just like I heard my name, I look over and I remember my mom's like whole demeanor changed, and you could tell she knew. And then like a week or two later, that young lady was like, "Oh, hey, I'm pregnant." But I just remember my mom. Hey, so how old were you when you had friends with venture? My mom was just like, like she stopped chopping carrots or whatever she was doing, and I was like. I didn't know. I was too young. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh, why'd she do that? So I feel it. Something mm-hmm. happened there. And then I was able to link it. And I was like, oh, you thought you were slick. Like, <laughs> you thought you were so smart. Just like, hey, so what's going on? You were trying yeah. to add your life up to her yeah, life yeah, and see, yeah. oh, so this worked out. So is my little thing going to work out? And it's like, what are some of the biggest things that you try to hold up? Like, what is the light in your, what are some of your philosophies as far as fathering you know two young men right now and then you have a daughter how do you empower your little girl to understand that she can do anything she sets her mind to that she's just as valuable if not more in her head than everybody else you know there's nothing that she can't accomplish how do you do that with your boys is there a difference is there like how do you walk that tightrope that is parenting you know what i mean yeah Three, three different kids, three different kids mm-hmm. with two of the same parents, and they're yeah. nothing alike. They are nothing. Alike. They're all different. Very, very different. And and I, one, obviously, I know that they're just different because they're different people. But they did grow up in different phases of my life. Yeah, that's like, that's the thing right there. Not to cut you off, but like, I, is that might be it? I'm noticing between me and my sister. Mm-hmm. Completely different humans, but like you have broke college kids, and then you have like people who figured their shit out a little bit, and completely different outcomes. And then I also want to know, like, are humans just different? You know what I mean? Like, do people was Callie just wired different from Cam? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, no, no. they are they are one hundred percent wired. I mean, there's no like there is no spectrum on this because it is a triangle. There are three different there are three different universes of different and. Mm Uh, the, the, like I said, I you know being in different phases of my life, yes, they were raised different, and my perspective of fatherhood and 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 caring for our family was different. Like with CJ, like CJ was with me a lot, and because I was grinding and I was moving and shaking, and I didn't have like what you would consider like a traditional job, but Jennifer did, and I was able to kind of move. And CJ went to these like preschools and things like that. Cameron. Um, like I was now trying to like make my name as a coach. So I was gone a lot and Jennifer was stay at home mom at this time. And so, and we kind of already had like a pretty good foundation of some things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Callie was born, like we owned a house already. I was kind of pretty much set. I was on the back end of, you know, that, that hustle grind mentality. And so, so she grew up in a little bit different, you know, way too, you Mm -hmm. know, and they, and it was pretty cool because they, you know, they went to the same, they went to Cerritos College Child Development Center. They went to Patrick Henry, which is a dual immersion um, K, it w- was a K-8, but it has like a Spanish and English as the, but their primary instruction is in Spanish. Okay. So they all went through the same school with the same parents and. Hop on the mic. And everything else. But at the end of the day, like they're very, very different. Mm-hmm. And when it talks to my, my parenting style or whatever, I just want them to know that I'm there and. And I and I try to give them like energy yeah. and, and I can't because it's different at different times. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's me and Cameron just sitting down and watching a movie. Sometimes it's me taking CJ to the gym or the park and me just rebounding while I get some shots up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's me just, you know, going with Callie and, you know, ha- watching her ride her bike or wa- ride her scooter or play catch and me and her just kicking a soccer ball back and forth. But just giving energy mm-hmm. because you never know how that's going to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I, I bought these cards and it did help a little bit. And I, I something I definitely want to get back on because, like, for me, I didn't have my father growing up. Mm-hmm. So my I really felt there was a drop in my ability to communicate with CJ as a young man. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like. I could talk to so many other people, but talking to him is th- was like different. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure out, okay, how do I talk? So I got these cards because they're like supposed to be these conversation starter, like get deep and all that. I forget oh, exactly I what they're called, but they were pretty cool because we we're taking long drives because he had to go to basketball practice and 
where it, it made it made us ask each other these very like very in like intricate questions like who in the family do you think you're most like um, what are some of your biggest fears? What are something I, you, you, you don't think I know about you? Mm -hmm. What is something that I tell you to do, but you don't think I should tell you to do? Like, I mean, it got, it was some pretty good stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that really sticks with me to this day, and it was kind of funny because I think he was like 12 at the time. It said, was something, you know, I forget exactly what the question was, but his answer was, oh, something about, oh, well, you know, because that's part of my personal life. Like, what the fuck? What do you mean <laughs> personal life? Like, you don't drive. Like, you don't know nobody. Like, yeah. what do you mean personal life? But he was developing an identity. Like, that yeah. just, that shook me. And, like, I'm like, oh, damn. Like, you're, like, a real, like, common person right now. Yeah, you're and a human. Yeah, huh? like, crazy. you're not just, like, this little pod that we got to <laughs> just keep alive. Like, yeah. you are really here. Like, you're, mm -hmm. you have a, a role in, in life and yeah. society right now. And so for me, like that really shaped me as it relates to being aware of helping them develop their own superpowers, because just because they're different doesn't mean that they don't have their own what I call I call them superpowers. Yeah, like, they're all different. Like they all have like that little thing. And, and it's and it's my job. I feel it's my job mm -hmm. to identify that that power mm -hmm. and then just help manifest it. Yeah. And like I know that they have their superpower and they know it and they know I know it mm -hmm. and they know that I'll do anything and everything possible to help them, you know, execute on it and grow that power. And yeah. so it's going to be fun for I think Cameron's going to, you know, kind of hit his stride um, you know, when he comes when he likes 13. I think Callie is going to be um pretty pretty impactful as it relates to her identity early on. I can kind of tell that because she's very self-aware. Oh, really? And I mean, yeah, her, yeah, her ability to adapt to what I would consider very mature things like as a six year old is yeah. pretty high. So, um, I mean, that's going to be what it is. And obviously CJ's kind of already in his role right now, you know, being a student athlete going into high school and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah how's that feel as far as like, uh, we'll talk about like you got it. You got a kid in high school now. You got a big <laughs> one. You know, like you got like a real one. Yeah, yeah, you got a big boy now. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think that mm, I don't. I don't want to sound like too weird when I say this, but I'm gonna say it's my fucking podcast. Like, if I have a kid that's like me, I really feel like everything that I learned that my dad was able to teach that we did together. Because that's how I feel. It is I don't feel like. He was a young parent. Like he's a he's a young guy. I, we, I watched him grow up. You know what I mean? Like I watch. I remember when he was in his twenties. I remember when he's in his thirties. No, I'm here when he's in his forties. So it's like we have a certain type of bond where he. When I talk about hitting the nail right on the fucking head, perfect. Like just the ability, the maturity level that I'm at right now. The types of things that I'm thinking about. The types of things that he goes. He just goes, hey buddy, you're so far ahead of the game right now. If you, you have an opportunity to continue carrying that ball forward mm -hmm. or people are going to catch up if yeah. you just start dicking around. Hey, keep growing. It's exponential. Mm -hmm. Double it, double it, double it, double it. You'll get there. So I have everything. I remember everything, Rich. Like, it's the weirdest thing. I remember learning how to ride a bike at four. Like, and, and I learned early. Like, I remember four. He was like, hey, buddy, you want it? Just a quick story. It's like, I had Hot Wheels cars. I've loved cars. It's one I'm going to blow all my money on. <laughs> like, I've already, we've already established that I go, hey, hey, babe, what's a really high number for this vehicle that you think is worth? 79 Ford Bronco or whatever. You know what I mean? She's like, uh, yeah, you know, maybe pay like 80K for that. I go, okay, yeah, all right, let's fucking double it because I'm sending it. I'm going through the roof with this guy. I'm all out. It's what I love, though. But the point is Hot Wheels cars. I wanted to build this track, right? It's some toy or whatever he wanted to build. He goes, okay, hey, I'll help you build that if you learn how to ride a bike without the training wheels, right? So we end up going out. I'm falling. I'm falling. Eventually, athletic kid, I learned how to ride the bike. I'm like, hell yeah. We go. We end up building that Hot Wheels track. Like, I'm flying these cars around, doing my thing. But, like, that's just an example. I was four and a half. I remember that vividly. So it's like I remember all the parenting. What I'm scared about or just nervous about is I don't know what happens when the human that I have isn't the same as me because me and my dad are so similar hmm. as far as like I don't know how you and CJ are, but like so similar as in just like the way we think we go like 
uh, I don't want to throw it away. Do you think that I could maybe kick it? Is there some sort of an apparatus I could build? How can we make this easier? You know what I mean? Like, but, but willing to put in the work to make it so that the future, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I built a little track. Let's shoot it through and the trash is out now. Like, can I go off the second story window and just like drop it in? You know what I mean? So it's like, how do you navigate humans that like who's closest to you are there ones that or is everybody just different from you you know what i Um, mean i i see i see certain parts of my like i guess intuitiveness creativity part cameron okay um i think uh like my passion that kind of thing is for sure cj like Mm -hmm. my ability to like navigate and be very observative because they say, oh, man, they, you know, people, you know, on basketball teams or stuff, and you're like, oh, you guys are quiet, right? Mm-hmm. But, no, we're not quiet. We're just observing. Yeah. Like, we're taking everything in. But he is so much better socially than I am. He, I mean, he, I don't know. I wish I had this skill. Everybody loves CJ. If he yeah. goes somewhere, like, he just gravitates. I don't know what it is. Very magnetic. It, all, yeah. Actually, all the kids, except, like, and then Callie gets my, my fierce. Like, oh. Callie has my, my. My not I don't want to say rage, but like um, my fire. Like I have a yeah. fire in me. Uh-huh. Like I have a I have a very very deep burning fire that I can just turn on. Yeah, she has that. Yeah, that that f- she has that fire like no other. Like her attitude, her her like drive and and like level of like deep focus. She's just watching the perimeter on everybody. Oh huh? man, <laughs> like, yeah, she can she'll light it up. Like that's gonna be that's that's her for sure. So and, and so here's the thing, though, getting into like more parenting, dude, um, I'm going over to Sweden and the world's upside down over there. My world is upside down over there. When I when I talk about like everything that I do to succeed in America and our society now and what makes me so just oh, tall, tan and terrific. That stuff ain't flying over there. You know why? Because like they it's a different society over there. I'm mm-hmm. traveling. I'm talking about I'm going everywhere. That's what I'm doing over the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I'm 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 going to be free. Like mm-hmm. I got this passport. My goal is not to have the biggest bank account. I want the most stamps on that passport. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to meet everybody. And that's where like my perspective is shifting right now and as I'm developing as a young man as I realize like, whoa, if I was able to find my life partner over in Sweden, what the hell's in Africa right now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What's over in Asia that's going to help me or what can I provide value over there? What's down in Mexico? So it's like I got to go everywhere. And that's my big thing right now is like, I'm just planning all these trips in my head and I'm like, ah, the funds aren't there yet. Let me get a good little job here so we can get that. But it's crazy. My upbringing has been very like traditional American, very like hands-on, very just like, I I know you're a little criminal, you know, I'm going to make sure that you don't have any offenses and just like put that pressure on. How do you implement that hands-off approach or how are you navigating are you thinking about in the future, 20 years from now, how the things that your seeds that you're planting now are still going to be like, what type of relationship do you want with your kids 20 years from now when they're out of the house? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, for me, when it comes to them, like my number one goal is to feel, have them trust themselves, like have yeah. like a deep rooted sense of self because, uh, you know, it was a, it was a preacher, T.D. Jakes. He was talking about, he was talking about how, and it just, this one, it almost, it was like one of those things where you heard it and it almost made you fall to the floor. Like that's Mm -hmm. what, that's what it, you know, my jaw dropped everything. It just shook my, whatever I thought. It, Mm -hmm. no, wait, it took something I wasn't even thinking about and it made me think about it and then rocked me. Right. Yeah. So he was talking about his daughter, like how can she learn that God is a savior or that, you know, how can she learn how to go through trials unless she goes through trials? Mm. How can she develop her ex unless she goes through something? Like I had to go through things. And in initially when I, you know, being a father, I'm like, Oh, I don't want my kids to have like hard times. I don't want oh. my kids. They have to, they have to go through it. And mm. I just have to be ready because, you know, we're so blessed that we haven't had any major catastrophes in our family. But I know that I'm going to have to be that rock and it's going to something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And and when it does, like because that's just what life is, that we're, I'm going to be there and they're going to have to try to make the most out of that. Yeah. And it might be major. It might be small. It might come in micro doses. I don't know. But they're going to have their own trials and tribulations. That's going to make them them. 
Mm -hmm. And I just have to make sure that one, I'm that rock for them, that they know that no matter what happens, that they they're loved and that somebody cares for them and that, you know, no matter what the situation is, that they're going to be at least supported in some way, because Mm -hmm. there's probably nothing more scary than going through something and not feeling that you're going to you have support or that there's going to be someone there or something there for you. Mm-hmm. So n- if nothing else, let them and make sure that they know beyond a, uh, beyond a doubt that I'm going to be there the best I possibly can at all possible times, mm-hmm. no matter what kind of trials they go through. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have to go through their trials. And I want to know now, you're such a like a, a very good communicator, such a calm guy. Everything that I've seen, not with you, but just like throughout my experience with just parents in general, is it's always been like, I show you my love through rage, let's say. Like one of my happiest experiences with my pops is I remember I was playing Texas football. It's the worst environment you can possibly be in. It's, I, fuck Texas. I'll say that right now. Like, hey, whatever, all right? Like, I'll buy property out there. Fuck Texas. But um, I had a concussion playing football. They put, you know, JV guys against varsity guys. I was like a freshman or sophomore. Boom, big DN just comes. I'm I'm ringing, boom, flash out, boom. So fast forward a week and a half, two weeks ago, I get cleared, right? My dad comes to practice. He's sitting up there in the stands because that's how Texas football is. You got fans during practice, you know? So he comes in out, um, and they put me in that same exact drill again. The same coaches just, hey, throw the scout guy out there. Boom, DN comes off the edge. Boom, I get tackled again. I still had a concussion. It was only, you know, a week and a half, two weeks after that concussion. Boom, I get tackled. I hit my head on the ground again. Not in the same pinging way, but, like, it was a big hit. And I remember taking my helmet off, and my dad could see that. They're like, hey, my guy's fucked up right now. I remember um, I was like, hey, coach, can I get out? Like, And this is my thing with coaches. I was like, hey, I, I got to take a breather. You're fine. You're fine. Get back in there. You know, you're good. You're good. We're just a scout guy. Go, go, go. And I remember being like, hey, I'm my vision's blurry right now. Like, I couldn't even – there's no – my hands, you know, you got that tingle, and I'm getting ready to uh, hike that ball again because that was my world. Like, I was a football player. I got it. I can't lose this spot of, like, you know, the scout guy. That leads to the varsity guy. And I just remember right before I hiked that ball, um, I hear my dad – excuse me, excuse me, you know what I mean? He comes – he's pushing through the guys crowded, and he's in that coach's ass, just ripping him a new one, just like, this guy got a fucking concussion, this and that. And, you know, my dad's a big guy, and this was a little man, like a very petite man. And my dad's not physically, like – hitting him or anything like that it's just he's really raging he's really yelling and he's walking you know you can walk through people so he's walking this guy my coach is like backing up kind of like grabbing his tits it was a little weird like (laughs) grabbing my dad you know getting back to and he was just getting and then I remember at that moment though just like the 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 feeling of safety that I had right then and there because I was that's the hardest moment of like your career right there you're 14 15 year old kid you're like fuck I don't know what I'm doing I hear him you know and as soon as I saw my dad though as I was like I didn't even know he was there though at the time I was just like you're here right now and he was here and he I just remember yelling blah 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 so anyways he got banned from that school clearly like you know you can't go to no more practices can't can't go to you know you got to watch the game on the radio you know like you got to get a FaceTime for what Venture is doing out there but that is an instance that like it's seared into my mind of like I don't know if that was the best way for him to handle it. And I I could tell you right now, it probably wasn't the best way to handle it. But in that time, him being an asshole was how he needed to communicate to those coaches. And I didn't have to do anything like that anymore. They were much more like the coaches were like, oh, let's not put venture through the ringer. Like, let's do civil, normal drills and stuff like that. But how do you navigate like you're so protective over your kids. And I get that. That was an extreme manner where probably it was justified. But like, how do you, how, how do you make that not your only tool? How is a hammer not your only tool I'm, to go at things? I'm very calculated. Yeah. Very, very calculated. I don't, I'm, if I'm going to, and I, and I, I'll go into what I, what I feel like my, my, my badge of honor is, but yeah. I am very calculated. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to if I don't feel like like striking is the thing, mm-hmm. because sometimes you know being there like or being making those those hard moves like aggressive or rage whatever mm-hmm. type moves that that then comes to play like that that is a that is something you need. Mm-hmm. But I'm very calculated in the way that I was like, all right, let me see this, and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this to put X into a certain situation yeah. to where. I don't have to go through that no more. Yeah. Okay. Or this is not going to come against me or my family or whatever anything anymore. But I really feel that um, that 
any situation, I've had people come against me and my family and things like that, just very malice. And uh, I'm thinking I'm doing the best I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And you have like negativity or hate, but that that gets taken care of. If you Mm -hmm. just stay the course, like people's Mm -hmm. people that come against me or my family have always they've always gotten what they need to get. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't need to go do something. Yeah. And I and I appreciate the level of restraint that I've had over a certain situation because it's probably saved me from being or making a situation worse. Mm -hmm. One, two, it allowed those individuals that were coming against me or that entity that was coming against me to now, you know, go through their own. And, and it's tough because I learned this, you know, eight years ago that when people come at you with negativity, it's really them. Like they're just, it's their stuff that they're now trying to put on you. Mm-hmm. And if you can look in the mirror and be like, I did the best I could. And, and, or I'm doing what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And they're still bringing X. And you know what? Like let them dwell in their own misery because some people don't mind getting in shit throwing competitions. Yeah. They don't mind getting shit on them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why, why go there? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what is the, what is the overall outcome? But um, but yeah, that's what I mean. Like I said, I'm calculated and I believe that people will get what, what they got coming. And I, I've seen it. Like I watched it. And yeah. Sometimes I didn't believe it because it didn't happen in the time frame that I thought or wanted it to happen. But I'm talking about things, you know, people's lives. Yeah, everything takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't need to do nothing. And if I just stay true to my course that, you know, things will happen the way they need to go. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Um, just stay in the course, staying accountable, staying true to yourself and, you know, really investing yourself in loving what you do. I appreciate the words of wisdom. She came on the pod and, um, I hope to have you on again. Did you have a good time? Oh yeah. This yeah. You cool. having yeah, fun? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is something where, like I said, our goal here is to, um, enter, uh, you know, entertain, empower, help people grow, help people sort of understand that they're not alone. And, um, really it's just, selfishly for me too like mm-hmm. i get better mm-hmm. i don't uh if people want to tune in that's awesome if not you know that's okay you do do what makes you happy and you know find what you love stick with it i think that by you telling your story that's my biggest thing is learning from other people's mistakes and successes mm-hmm. is my i think a closing thought here is have you read that book by malcolm gladwell um outliers yeah you oh believe? yeah 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 i just got put on to oh, that yeah. one and um love it that's been my probably my book of the year and just so many things just the overall genre of like success isn't just an act and you always hear like oh yeah trust the process trust the process but when you really get hit with like definitive data Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. shows like hey uh, this company started in 2000 it's now 2022 and guess what they exponentially grew over these past two decades leading to google that you see now and it's like oh yeah no google just wasn't like a pixie dust out of the air it was people behind the scenes grinding working really hustling to make it happen and my biggest thing out of that book too was like the difference between convergent thinkers and divergent thinkers Mm -hmm. of like my whole just my biggest issue throughout my educational career has been like the one answer on the test like a b c d and i'm like ah but not really you know like i've always been that kid that was like we could go this way we Mm -hmm. could do it this way so for sure like when he's talking about the uses of that brick what this iphone can do i don't I don't really care what it took to make the iPhone, but I know what I can do with this iPhone. Mm -hmm. I have a million ideas. I have this and that. And that person is just as needed within society as the person who built the iPhone. And it's like, love that book. That's uh, a lot of good stuff that I've gotten from there. You got any other book recommendations? I was going to say, yeah, good build off of that because you learn that like situations create people or people create situations mm-hmm. and so it's all about how you manifest those situations but then the one to help now okay be sensitive to those situations is understanding givers takers and matchers and that that's a good book because yeah and I, I wish I would have had this earlier on in my life because I, I would take things personal like people would do things say things be somewhere not be somewhere mm-hmm. and be like what's going on with them or I because I'm a giver mm-hmm. like and I love to give I love to you know be the one that's providing X or whatever that is mm-hmm. and there's some people that take 
um, you know, they get their their joy, their happiness, their love out of taking, like they receiving. Mm-hmm. And then some are all about matching. It's like, all right, I'll give you, but you got to give them, you know, and but the people are different and they mm-hmm. and they grow up in different households for whatever reason. That's their own, you know, that's not none of your business. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize that if you're expecting to get from a um, from a, a receiver or somebody that's a taker, mm-hmm. then you're going to be disappointed. And then mm-hmm. that's where givers start to become, you know, I guess a little bit, um, you know, some would say, uh, what's the word? Like, like I reserved or, or, or resentful. Oh, there you go. Yeah, resentful. Like givers become resentful of takers because their takers don't always, always recognize the giver. Yeah. And they take them for granted or this and this. And, and that's, that's hard. So like mm-hmm. talking about opportunity and some people only look for opportunities where it only benefits them instead of just being in the right situation and then seeing that situation out and being the best you possibly can in your own situation and then trusting your instincts to be able to go through your passions, your loves, your X, your Y. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I watch this manifest in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And people leave a great opportunity because of, of an interpersonal thing because they didn't understand you're a taker, that person's a giver, they're resentful for you and you don't even know it. Yeah. And a great story and it and it's kind of on those lines is like you you know, a, a man was taking his kid to a park, he was playing with this little kid and you know, him and this little kid were really good friends. Then the next couple of days they weren't playing together anymore and he goes, Hey, why aren't you playing with him? And oh he's acting weird. But he didn't realize that when they were digging dirt, he was throwing dirt on that other little kid and he didn't realize it mm-hmm. because sometimes we might offend people and we don't realize it. Mm. We, or people might offend us and they don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And it's it, that's that interpersonal stuff that really takes people out the game. So uh, givers, takers, and matchers is, I, I would say, like step two off of that outliers for sure. Okay, yeah. No, I'm going to hop on that and watch in like two, three weeks and be on the podcast talking about, hey, y'all need to read Givers, Takers, yeah, and uh, what was it? Yeah, Givers, Takers, and Matchers. So mm. I got one final question for you. Um, who's somebody that you would want to see on the podcast? Um, I want to see you talk to Hassan. Okay. Yeah, I think you and Hassan would, because um, his energy is different. Yeah. His energy is different than mine. That's, that's all but, right, different. <laughs> but, but he is, like, you're talking about investing in yourself, traveling and things like that. Mm-hmm. That, is a, that is a young man that is really invested in himself, and I've watched it. I, I, because maybe even myself, knowing, knowing about investing in yourself, I would look at him and be like, that's a lot. <laughs> because I'm talking about going to conferences, going to meetings yeah. and going to seminars and and paying to get mentored by some of the greatest business minds in the world, like mm-hmm. sitting down with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And like paying and doing all these things and like going these places and really like I'm talking about investing. I'm, pro- I'm probably talking upwards of over one hundred thousand dollars. And if I'm wrong, Hassan, I, I apologize. But I if I had to calculate it, mm-hmm. I would say he just in his own like personal growth and network mm-hmm. invested over a hundred thousand dollars already, and he's barely in his thirties. Yeah, and that's somebody I've watched like really like go from a goofy kid that liked to do a bunch of things to like a true breaded entrepreneur. Yeah, and I like he he he'll give you a perspective and a and and maybe some insight that might help you because I, I see those parallels. Like you're talking about, like, I want to get those stamps in my, in my passport. Mm-hmm. He's somebody that's, you know, um, like goes to Dubai. It's been to Pakistan. It's been all around the world and yeah. not afraid to like, he moved to Missouri and did stuff like that. So yeah. he's not afraid to kind of step into those realms, but did it from a more of a business entrepreneur perspective. So all right, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I'll try to reach out to him and set a date, see if he's got some free time soon and we'll get him on. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Rich, as always, it's been a pleasure, and thanks for coming on, and I hope to have you on again real soon. Oh, for sure. Thank you. All right. Natural Thoughts and Talks. Keep listening, guys. I'll catch you guys later. Bye.